0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show.
1: Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage
0: Talk text line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next. Swirl. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. And that is the new number that we use. Very good. Yeah, new number here. 855-616-1620. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of stuff to talk about, including a follow-up on something that we discussed late last week. I, um... I am a fan of Mike McCarthy. Now, I think it was time for the Packers to move on. I mean, it's just that 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 ends up happening. You you can be the best coach in the world. You can be the best manager in the world. But there comes a time when, for whatever reasons, you know, it, it's just time to move on. And I think after 13 seasons, that was the situation where McCarthy and the Packers were in, and and I think the Packers did the right thing. But I don't think it reflects on Mike McCarthy's ability to be a coach. I think Mike McCarthy, you look at the years he spent in Green Bay, and you know, incredibly successful years. Could you say maybe you know, given Aaron Rodgers in his prime, they should have had more than one Super Bowl? Appearance. Yeah, you could say that. There's no question about it. And there were a couple years that were incredibly disappointing. But in all honesty, I don't know if that was McCarthy's fault as a coach as much as maybe Ted Thompson's failure as a general manager. I mean, you look back on some of those Packer teams that were so dominant, and you just wonder, gee, if Ted Thompson had gone out and did what the new general manager done, spent a little bit of money, instead of just saying we're going to build solely from the draft, and brought in a couple A-list free agents to bolster the defense or whatever, you wonder if maybe they could have gotten three or, or four Super Bowl appearances during that period. Now, we're never going to know, because that wasn't Ted Thompson's strategy, but I, I think Mike McCarthy did a very, very good job on uh, with what he had. And, again, I appreciate that people tend to wear out their welcomes. One of the reasons that college coaches a lot of times are able to spend – year after year after year at their colleges is because the, the students come and go. You know, if you're in college, you're going to play for four years or maybe three years or whatever, and then you're going to move on. So there's always going to be this constant turnover. In the NFL, what happens is, especially for the stars, they're going to be there for a long time. And I think at some point in time, sometimes people kind of tune out. And that was my sense of what happened with, for example, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, that after a while, they just – they. They just kind of, Roger started tuning out McCarthy, you know, how You and I get it. That That's just how it happens when people work together for lengthy periods of time. But it doesn't mean Mike McCarthy's a bad coach. So I think Mike McCarthy deserved another chance to coach in the NFL. And um, I think he's landed in a pretty good situation. If you haven't heard the story, he's um, apparently being hired to be the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is a very, very talented but underperforming team, and you've got an owner who also doubles as the general manager, and that's, of course, an issue as well. But they're willing to spend money. They're willing to bring in free agents. They've got a young quarterback who needs to be tutored. I think it's a good situation for Mike McCarthy, and I think it's better that he finds himself in that situation. Dallas, an 8-8 and team, and maybe, you know, with a couple of the right moves, you can turn him into a playoff contender as opposed to going to – A Carolina, which is a hot mess, or a Cleveland. And with all due respect to my friends who are Cleveland Brown fans, I mean, Cleveland has been a hot mess for years and years and years. And McCarthy's not really in a turnaround situation. So if it's true that he's going to go to the Dallas Cowboys, I, I think he's positioning himself to succeed. I'm not going to be rooting for the Cowboys over the Packers or anything like that, but I am glad to see him land on his feet because I think he's a good guy. I think he deserves another chance to coach at the NFL level, and I am very happy to see him be there. All right, let's get started. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we last spoke on Friday, we were still processing – Our reaction to the government missile strike, the U.S. government making the decision that it was going to take out an Iranian uh, bigwig, you know, one of their military masterminds, who had over the last couple decades been responsible directly or indirectly for the deaths of hundreds of Americans hundreds of israelis and was one of the the leaders in in spreading kind of global terrorism the u.s president trump in particular made the decision that enough is enough and i think as everybody knows what they did is they ordered a, a missile strike from drones that ended up taking out the iranian general while he was in iraq This generated a lot of hand-wringing at the time. They had a funeral over the weekend in Iraq, and you had people taking to the streets and, you know, denouncing the, the U.S. government, you, in Iran. You had the Iraqi parliament in a non-binding vote saying that they, they want the U.S. out of Iraq. And you had a number, now, not an enormous number, but a number of, of the usual crowd, the anti-war protesters, you know, the folks that, that show up all the time, everywhere, and they did it in Milwaukee, and they did it in other cities, you know, protesters showing up, you know, protesting the, you know, U.S. attack on this terrorist who had been responsible for, like I say, hundreds, maybe thousands of deaths, and apparently was continuing to plot the deaths of more. Some of the signs I'm looking at, no more war, um, uh let's see. I'll uh I'll walk to our cities, you know, and again so we we don't want oil, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. All right, our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The more I think about this, the more I listen to some of the hand wringing reaction the more I listen to, I don't know, some of the anti-Trump folks out there who candidly, I think if Barack Obama or George Bush had done this, would have been applauding it, but now because it's President Trump that ordered this, you get all this hand-wringing. The more and more I think about the decision to take out this terrorist leader, the more I am convinced that it was absolutely the right move for the president to make. I mean, for years, we have kind of stood back and you've had a President Obama, for example, who talked about like drawing a line in the sand and daring people to step over it. And then when other countries did, we, we ended up doing nothing. I think this clearly sends this message that the United States is done with allowing people to plot the deaths and attacks on America or other installations or other institutions or other countries. I am convinced and I firmly believe that yes, the the world is in some respects perhaps a more tense situation, But is it a more dangerous situation than it was, I don't know, say Thursday? Not convinced of that at all. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand you have a handful of the usual suspects who are out there protesting. I don't know. Did the president do the right thing? My answer is yes. What do you think? If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit I'm getting getting more and more frustrated over the weekend as you have a number of these political opportunists who are denouncing the, the president for taking a move that I think anybody has to understand, makes the world a safer place. But because it's Donald Trump, well, this cannot be the the right move. Here's an interesting text. Jeff, I voted for Obama once and for Trump. I'm not going to vote for him again, and I support his impeachment. That being said, though, diplomacy should always be the first option until it's proven that it's no longer serving our benefit or the world's benefit. The, uh, Trump's team has been very patient with Iran, but kudos to the president for saying enough is enough. When diplomacy clearly won't work it's not our decision to wipe out dangerous terrorists it's their own decision and that's what you saw and i guess i agree with that completely all right here's another text there's no way we are not safer now why most uh, why not assassinate uh, putin or assad they are just as guilty if not more of killing americans abroad they are far more dangerous to the u.s well no uh, iran is different than russia and, and if you don't understand that, you don't understand the world situation. I mean, Iran is a rogue nation. Iran has been actively trying to figure out how to kill Americans and how to kill Israelis and how to disrupt that region for the longest time. You had this clown who was acting with impunity because he felt that, you know, he could hide in plain sight. He felt that President Obama didn't have the guts to launch military strikes against him he felt that President Bush didn't have the guts to launch military strikes against him and he felt that President Trump didn't have the guts to launch military strikes against him and well he he turned out it turned out that he was wrong when it came to President Trump now I understand that this you can make the argument that says well okay this has now helped to further you know disrupt and destabilize Iraq but let's face it Iraq has been destabilized for quite A while. Guess the question becomes you know, how much does the United States have to take as far as, again, allowing a tax on our interest? Jeff, it was absolutely the right thing to do, and if everybody Thought that uh, Iran had been hadn't been planning terrorist attacks before this happened. It's them that ended up falling off the turnip truck. Yeah, I, I, I get it. So what's Iran's response? Iran says over the weekend, well, now we're we're going to continue our our development of you know nuclear power and thing nuclear weapons and stuff like that. Well, i the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think Iran had had ever really stopped doing that. Now, I'm not smart enough to know what the ultimate answer is to how you deal with Iran. What you'd like to see Big picture is you'd like to see regime change. You'd like to see the Iranians realize that, you know, maybe it would be nice to join the the greater world community. And the way you do that is by, okay, replacing the the rogue government that you end up having. Now, how you affect that, now that's the tougher question. But for everybody who says, okay, that this is a terrible thing for the, the president, well, to have done i guess the question is how many more hundreds or thousands of lives american lives israeli lives how much more destabilization to the Middle East would you have to put up with? And at least at this particular point in time, you know, President Trump has drawn that line in the sand and he said, All right, look, you keep attacking tankers in the Straits of Hormuz. You know, you keep launching these efforts to try to kill other people, and there are going to be consequences. And yeah, is it a little bit more destable? That that's fine. But for the people that are out there that are holding up those signs saying no war, I'm with you. Nobody wants war. But What did you think these rogue Iranians were trying to accomplish? Wake up. Smell the coffee.
0: You're listening to
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I also think the president is hitting the right tone in moving forward. Now, keep in mind, these missile attacks last week came after A lengthy period of provocation. It's not like this comes out of the clear blue. You've had not only like terrorist planning, you've had not only terrorist attacks, but you've had things like the Iranian directed attempt to take over the U.S. Embassy in Iraq. You've had the tankers that were seized in the Straits of Hormuz. I mean this has been going on and going on and and going on and at some point in time I think the U.S. has every right to say enough is enough. And you are a rogue nation, and we're not going to continue to allow you to escalate your provocation without having some sort of response to that. And so now you get a lot of saber rattling that's coming out of Iraq. But here's the bottom line. Iraq knows that it doesn't want to I mean Iran knows that it doesn't want to get into a shooting war with the United States. That that's that's something that you cannot win. And I'm not arguing for boots on the ground necessarily in in Iran. I, I think you know you don't you don't get involved in that situation. But here's the bottom line. If Iran were to start to launch you know state sponsored attacks on US interests or on Tel Aviv or something like that, well I, I think They need to understand that by ratcheting this up, there are consequences. And I'm one of these guys who just cringes a lot of times when the president sends out his tweets. I I think the the Trump presidency would be different if it weren't for a lot of these tweets. But I mean, here's the tweet that came out yesterday or early this morning. Iran has been nothing but a problem for many years. Let this serve as a warning that if Iran strikes any Americans or American assets, we have targeted 52 Iranian sites, representing the 52 American hostages taken by Iran many, many years ago, that would be the late 70s, at some some at a very high level and important to Iran and the Iranian culture. And those targets And Iran itself will be hit very fast and very hard. The USA wants no more threats. And I think that that's a reasonable position to take to say, look, okay, this this is it. If you decide that you want to escalate this conflict, if you decide that you want to launch attacks on U.S. Diplomats, diplomats, et cetera, et cetera, if you decide you want to try to go after Israel, understand that there are going to be consequences. And by doing what the president did late last week, you, you've you showed that we're not just this paper tiger. You're not President Obama just sitting there and again saber rattling saying, OK, we're drawing a line in the sand. And then, you know, once people step over that line in the sand, then we're just going to ignore it. You know, are things tenser? Yeah, of course they, they are tenser. But we had to do something. I think if you just simply looked the other way and looked the other way, then it's no surprise when you have, again, these rogue nations like Iran that don't end up taking you seriously. All right. When we come back after the news, the military intervention, the missile attack on Friday has a lot of people wondering, gee, if we do get into a shooting war, and I don't think we're going to get into a shooting war. I I just don't believe that. But, you know, who is going to staff that? And should we be looking at a return to the 70s? That is, is it time to bring back the draft? We're going to discuss that in just a couple moments.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So, very glad to have you with us. All right. In the United States... We did away with the draft... In what, the early 70s, young people still have to register for the draft. And I mean, I can I can remember I was just a little bit too young for Vietnam. But I mean, I can remember having to register for the draft, but they had discontinued the draft by the time that I was draft age. But we, we still have processes that require young people to register. The the plan would be, should the draft ever be reinstituted? They would, it's highly unlikely that 18 or 19 year olds would be drafted. The plan is to start taking people 20-year-olds, and then move upward and take 21-year-olds, 22, 23, 24, 25. So that's the eligibility range uh, of people who would be taken. But again, we require people to register at the age of 18. The idea of compulsory military service is just, it's its a foreign notion to generations of Americans. But just so you understand, in many, many countries that have militaries, um, you, you have... Compulsory or required military service. I mean, just some of the countries that require this. Bermuda, Colombia, France, Kuwait, Singapore, Sweden, Thailand, Venezuela, Israel, of course, Algeria, Bolivia, um, Guatemala, uh, Mongolia, Paraguay, Russia, Taiwan, Tunisia, Uzbekistan, it goes on and on. Morocco, Egypt, uh, Cambodia, um, United Arab emigrants, it goes on and on. So it's not like there's only that there's no countries in the world and i think one of the things that a lot of us focus on is if if you know anything about israel now part of it is because of the unique nature of israel and the fact that it's a small country that is surrounded by you know enemies but you know it's a Military service, and I, I think off the top of my head, it's either two years or three years. I mean, it, it's a mandatory thing, and in Israel, it's for both men and women. Most of the countries, the the mandatory military service is is for men, but you know, we don't have that in the United States. Our number that six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, on this program, we deal in things like the real world. I understand that politically there is probably no support or very little support at all for reinstituting the draft. That's just the reality of it. And I don't think it's likely to happen in this country at all. Nevertheless, I, I think things like happening over the weekend raise a number of interesting issues, including... All right. If there is some sort of price to citizenship and you have a number of countries that that pay this, should some form of military or otherwise public service, would it be a good thing if that was required of young people, whether it's a draft or something else? You know, would would this country be better off if we required that? And would it work? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. To tell you the truth, I, I, I think you can make a strong argument on the one hand that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing at all if we expected some form of public service, whether it's military service or something corresponding from people, maybe a year, 18 months, maybe two years. I think that might be a good thing. Whether or not Americans would put up with that is a whole different story. But is this something we should at least look at moving forward, even though I don't think we're going to get into a shooting war with Iran? But, but moving forward, would some mandatory form of public service be a good thing for this country? And could we ever implement it? My answer would be yes. But I'm not sure we could ever make it work. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to discuss in just a moment. Should we reinstitute the draft or something like that and apply it to young people? A year, 18 months, mandatory forms of public service, whether it's the military or something else. Might not be the worst thing, would it? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That is the new Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're discussing whether or not forget forget what happened on Friday and, and forget ratcheting tensions in the Middle East. We're discussing whether or not it would make sense for the United States to reinstitute And I'm I'm calling it the draft, but it doesn't necessarily have to be military service. You know, we we did away with the draft in 1973, but, you know, this country, you know, going back to the Civil War, had 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 some form of of draft. Now, we did away with it in 1973 in large response because of, you know, popular protests against the Vietnam War and things like that. And, you know, we've gone to an all-volunteer military force. But it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who had, um, just gone down to one of the, the naturalization ceremonies that they do downtown. It's a long story as to why he was there. But this is where, you know, people who've come into this country legally and have gone through all the steps and jumped through all the hoops and things like that and have become U.S. citizens. And it was interesting because he was just talking to me about how, and I've been to a number of those ceremonies, how you see the people that have come into this country and, and how much being a citizen means to them and how hard they've had to work to try to get their citizenship and how they they appreciate this well i think candidly that's something that we who are born in this country or citizens by right of birth i think in many respects that's something that we end up taking for granted and if there was some form of again compulsory public service whether it's the military Or if you want to opt out of the military, maybe it's, you know, some sort of public works project, something like the Peace Corps, something like that. I I think it might just might make people appreciate more directly the value of citizenship. Now, it doesn't have to be for three years or four years, but a year, 18 months I'm not sure at all that I think that that would be the very worst thing. Could you defer it till you get out of college? Well, yeah, absolutely. I no problem, you know, with that. But as long as you apply something like that across the board, I, I think it might make people appreciate the value of citizenship more. Now, let me stop you. I mean, I, I understand that for a lot of us who did not serve in the military, you get these you're, okay, well, you're a hypocrite. You know, you didn't enlist in the military. Well, no, I, I, I didn't enlist. I mean, I was a child of the 70s and, and like I say, I registered for the draft, but it was a it was a different time then. It's a different military then and there's different needs. You know, we talk about all these needs for public service and we need all this Infrastructure. I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world again if you had young people that were required to sign up and to do things like? that. Um, let's see, Jeff. I don't think this would be a good idea because most of those countries you've listed have an imminent neighborly threat. My friends in Taiwan have served because of a threat from China. However, the amount of discipline, functionality and respect for that country is something you will never see in the United States. Well, some of those countries, that's true. But Sweden has has, a, has compulsory service as well. And I don't think Sweden's ever been you know threatened in that regard. Um, Let's see, Jeff, if I was drafted, I wouldn't go. I would only fight a war that wasn't based on lies. Well, all right. I I understand that there's some people who then might decide, you know, we're not going to comply. And then the question becomes, you know, what are you going to end up doing with them? If people end up fleeing to Canada or whatever, are you going to penalize them? Are you going to hold them accountable? And maybe that ties into what I was just saying, this idea that in America in 2020, if you try to require some form of mandatory public service, whether it was the draft or a domestic equivalent of the Peace Corps or something like that, you know, maybe maybe young Americans just flat out wouldn't comply. And they'd say, no, 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 we're... We don't need to do anything for our country. We don't need to serve in that capacity. We can't be required. And again, sometimes it might be military, but it might be something else. So I don't know that it's practical. Jeff, as an Army veteran of 14 years, I support mandatory military service for all young people. You learn how to be a leader and how to become um, self-reliant on yourself and the people you serve with. It should be at least a two-year term. Well, see, that's that's what the discussion, I, I think, should be. It's not, should we be drafting people because we, we need people to, to fight wars? It should be, whether we are in peacetime or in wartime, should we be requiring American citizens to do something that gives back to their government and to their country. And yeah, I mean, I think it's great that you have a volunteer military, and I think it's great that we've been able to accomplish the things that we have. But with all these different conversations about infrastructure needs and all this, and the fact that you're going to have, you know, an ongoing demand for the military, and the fact that in many cases, now I, I, I think I think the world of the people who sign up for the military, but some of the people who have a disdain for the military, the argument that they will make is, well, you you have to understand, it's only the uh, it's only the the poorer people, people from lower economic groups, that you know enroll and sign up, and enlist in the military, because that's the only way that they can get options. Now I don't buy into that at all. But if you had some form of compulsory service, what you would see across the board is. Is that you'd have you know people who again would be giving back to this country, Jeff absolutely two years of service to our country. Um, uh, I would also tie it into education. Well, sure, there's all sorts of things you can do with it. Jeff, um, let's see, this is Dave in Appleton. I agree 100% with you. The only problem is that looking at the youth of today, a full 30 to 40 percent would uh, simply not qualify, make wouldn't make it through any kind of basic training. Well, maybe that's true. Um, Jeff, kind of hard to get on a soapbox about this when our president is a draft dodger. Okay, well, I mean, President Obama didn't serve either. I mean, I I understand. You have to have a sea change in attitudes uh, about this. Yes, President Trump used all his deferments in an effort to avoid serving. President Clinton used deferments in an effort to avoid serving. That was something that people were doing in the 60s and 70s, especially people of privilege, were doing in an effort to try to avoid, you know, having to go to Vietnam. I get it, I understand. But different times, and I guess maybe the question is, if it's good enough for all these other countries in the world, I mean, is it too much to ask of young Americans? Lots of politicians would probably say definitely yes. And that's too bad. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Remember when you were a kid? Maybe what you wanted to do is you you wanted to, let's say you had a you're in high school and you had a ten thirty or eleven o'clock curfew, and what you wanted to do is you wanted to go to a dance or something, and you wanted you wanted to. Get home at midnight. That's what you really want to do. But rather than just going and asking your parents, hey, I want to go to this dance and I want you to extend my curfew for an hour. Rather than just doing that, you you, you came up with one of these complicated things. And maybe it started out with, hey, um, I'd really like to go to this dance and then I'd like to stay over at my buddy Steve's place. And um, I would like to spend the weekend there and his parents are out of town. And your parents would say, no, you're not going over to your friend Steve's house, and you're not going to be able to spend two days there, you know, when his parents are out of town. Oh, okay, well, well how about I just get to spend um, Saturday night there? No, you're not going to be able to spend Saturday night at Steve's house when his parents are out of town. Okay, well, I, I tell you what, um, how about... How about I, I, am able to stay out till three o'clock in, in the morning. It would, would, that be okay because we've got all these things? No, you're not going to be able to stay out till three o'clock in the morning. And you kind of wear them down. So finally, then you say, well, look, how about midnight so I can go to the dance? I, I'm not going to stay overnight, all that thing. How about midnight? And you, you've kind of worn down your parents and your parents say, Oh, okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's fine. I just don't want to have this argument. That, that's fine. So, by starting out with completely outrageous and unreasonable things, you ultimately are able to sound reasonable when you, you get what you wanted all along, which is, hey, you, you want your curfew extended till midnight, right? Politicians do this all the time. Great local example of that a couple years ago. Outgoing Milwaukee County executive Chris Abley. He, he wanted a wheel tax. Right. He wanted the wheel tax. So if you live in Milwaukee County and you have for the privilege of owning a car, every car you register ably wanted you to pay sixty dollars, sixty dollar wheel tax. And, and people went, you know, absolutely bat ca- crap crazy about, you know, a uh, sixty dollar wheel tax. Oh, that that's crazy. That's crazy. That, that, that's crazy. So the county board comes along and says, tell you what, tell you what, we're we're not going to support a sixty dollar wheel tax. Thirty bucks. 30 bucks. And everybody says, oh, that's great. It's so reasonable. Well, okay. It's only reasonable in light of the fact that it's not 60 bucks. But everybody gets so worked up about $60 that they don't think anything about the $30. The next thing you know, you've got this $30, you know, wheel tax year after year after year. It's the whole idea again of, of kind of, Let's ask for the moon, let's shock people, and then we'll seem reasonable when we come back with other numbers. Well, that is exactly what is going on in the city of Milwaukee when it comes to... The Milwaukee public school system. Now, the Milwaukee public school system has not asked taxpayers for a referendum for a number of years. Last time they did, it it went down in flames. You know, these are the referendums where people in a district can decide to voluntarily spend more, increase people's property taxes, you know, for various purposes. And lots of school referendums across the state are passing. And that's fine. I'm a big believer in local control, and if a local community decides that they want to raise their property taxes, well, okay, that's, that's the decision that they're making. Now, a couple months ago, you had MPS officials that went in front of this, like, task force referendum, and, and this is, this was the story. They said, okay, well, here, here's the deal. If, if we want, if we want a good education for our kids at MPS, we, we've got two scenarios. We've got a gold standard. Now, that this gold standard education, which and everybody should want the gold standard education, would cost an additional $640 million a year. $640 million a year. What that would do is it would take the portion, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, it would take the portion of your property tax that goes to schools and, and it would bump it from nine dollars and fifty-eight cents per thousand dollars of assessed value to about twenty-two dollars and fifty cents. Okay, so this would increase. If you have a home assessed to three hundred thousand, this would push your property tax bill from twenty-eight hundred bucks to sixty-seven hundred bucks, and that's just the portion. That goes to the schools. That's on top of everything else. That's the gold standard. And then their plan B. Okay, okay, well, if you don't really care about the kids and you want plan B, plan B is $319 million a year. And that would again on a home assessed at three hundred thousand dollars, that would raise the school property tax portion of your bill from twenty eight to forty seven hundred. In other words, an extra two thousand dollars a year. But that's that's if you want kind of the second tier type of thing. So when these numbers came out. I means 640 million 319 million people's heads just absolutely exploded. Are you kidding? How can you do this to the property taxpayers? Well, all right, that's not the number that anybody settled on. That was just the number that they threw out so that people could get used to the idea. The question that is now going to be put to taxpayers on the April 7th ballot, it's not 640 million. It's not the gold standard. It's not the plan B three hundred nineteen million. It's eighty seven million dollars. Eighty seven million dollars, which is substantially less than that. A home assessed at three hundred thousand dollars would pay about thirty three hundred and fifty dollars in the first year of the referendum up from twenty eight seventy four. So your taxes would go up about five hundred dollars. If your house was assessed at 150,000, the portion of your property taxes devoted to schools would go up about 230 bucks. So it's a much lower number. After floating these enormous pie in the sky, hey, can I spend the weekend at Steve's house? What they've clearly settled on it is again, they're hoping people are going to be just so relieved that they haven't come out with these incredibly huge numbers. That they're going to jump at an eighty-seven million-dollar referendum, increasing again property taxes on a home worth three hundred grand, increasing it about five hundred bucks on a home worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, increasing it about like two hundred and fifty bucks. Our number. 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. We were told if you want to have the gold standard for education you need all this money. They've decided, okay, never mind that. We want 87 million. You should be glad we're only asking for 87 million. Is this strategy going to work? Will this referendum pass? I still have doubts. How about you? That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will people in the city of Milwaukee vote to voluntarily increase their property taxes by hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds of dollars to funnel the money into MPS? I still have my doubts. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. The new Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
1: That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a number of people are commenting. Hey, the strategy MPS is using—it's the old uh, boiling a frog in a pot routine. Well, it, it ap- absolutely is. That—that's the whole idea of if you got a pan of scalding water and you take a frog and you throw it in, the frog is going to jump out because the water scalding. If you put the frog in a pan of warm water and you kind of like gradually turn up the heat, well, next thing you know, you got frog soup. You kind of sneak up on them. Well, that—that's—that is sort of the MPS strategy, and it, it, it played out because a few months months ago, you had the task force, and you had the people at MPS that, look, if we care about a quality education, what we need is we need a $617 million referendum, and, and, and we we need to have, that's going to increase people's property taxes by thousands of dollars, and then if, if you want the second tiered thing, well, that's $319 million, and that's going to increase your property taxes by a couple thousand dollars, so people were shocked, so now it seems reasonable when they come out and they say, well, you know, we, we, we've we decided we don't want 600 plus we don't want 300 plus we just want 87 million so instead of increasing your property taxes by thousands of dollars we're going to increase your property taxes by hundreds of dollars you should be relieved you should be patting ourselves on the back well my question is and i I think it's a very valid one all right well if these if the mps was saying originally that in order to assure quality education for kids you, you need 600 million or plan B is three hundred million. What the heck's going on here? I, I mean what, what are you really gonna do if eighty seven million dollars isn't enough to substantially, you know, deal with the problems at at MPS, why would you go about and do something, you know, in a half budded sort of way? I mean is is that is it gonna make a difference or not? Now I happen to be one of these people who believes firmly that the problems with MPS are aren't going to be solved simply by throwing money at MPS. And if you look at the the per-pupil spending that MPS goes through, what you're going to find is, you know, when you compare it to a number of districts, you know, per-pupil, it's not like the problems at MPS are caused by a lack of of money. Now, you get some more money, all right, you share it with some of the teachers, all right, does that make it a little bit more attractive? Fine, but is that going to make it... A significant difference. And if you needed 600 million or you needed 300 million, you know, why? Why would you settle on 87 million other than, okay, well, this is what we think we could get done because if we ask for 600 million, nobody in their right mind is going to increase their property taxes by several thousand dollars a year for this and you're going to have a mass exodus of people selling. So we'll settle on 87 million and we'll hope that people are relieved that it's only 250 bucks or 500 bucks. Well, the real challenge is going to be, again, why spend 87 million if it's not going to make a material difference on whatever the problems you are in all honesty i'm not sure 600 million would i'm not sure 300 million would because i think the problems that you have at mps go way beyond money way 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 beyond money but if that's what the numbers were you need 600 million how can you come back and ask for 87 million and be treated credibly if if those numbers were realistic in the first place. Maybe what's going on again is this kind of great bait and switch. We really need 600 million, but now you should be glad that we're only asking for 87. That's precisely what's going on here. I still think at 87 million... They're going to have a tough time getting people in the city of Milwaukee to end up voting for that. Now, I understand the folks at MPS and these task force folks, they all think that this is just going to sail by and they're all going to be applauded. And maybe this strategy of scaring folks with these high numbers and then coming in with a lower number if $87 million increase in property taxes is a low number, maybe they think that's that's going to work. I'm not sure that even in the city of Milwaukee, Even when you're looking at an election day where you're going to have a huge turnout because of a Democratic presidential primary, I'm not sure that even with all those circumstances, people in the city of Milwaukee are going to be willing to increase their property taxes by not thousands, but hundreds of dollars to come up with money for a solution at MPS that probably isn't going to make any difference at all. We will know after the polls close on April 7th.
0: Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. I actually love that commercial. Hey, check him out. If you don't like him, you can fire him. <laughs> Hey, you gotta kinda love that. Jeff, uh, good afternoon. MPS is so dysfunctional, I would not trust them with 50 cents. My wife is an MPS employee, I would not, and I would not know where to begin to tell you all the wasteful spending that goes on just because they have to use up all of their budget money that is there. Yeah, so you've got that. Jeff, that scenario laid out worked for me. Our house is assessed at right around $150,000, and those thousand or $2,000 increases were insane. But you said it was about $250. I thought, well, maybe we can handle that. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what the strategy was. You you get people just absolutely panicked that you're going to be asking for 2500 And then when you come around and say, well, it's only going to be 250 or $500, they are just absolutely thrilled. You go to the car repair place and they say, well, you have this problem and you're going to need this and that. And the other thing is going to be $2,100. And you go, oh, my God, it's $2,100, but I need my car. And then they call you back and say, well, well, you know, we, we've kind of changed our assessment. It's only going to be 700 bucks, And you're just so thrilled that it's only $700 that you just don't know what to do. That's... That is the strategy that you are playing out, that you're seeing playing out with MPS. But then you get the other side. Here's one of our textures. We don't need any money for the schools. Forget the kids. If they deserve a quality education, then maybe their parents should be able to afford private schools. If they can't, they don't deserve more of our money. Me, me, me. Greedy me comes first. Who cares about the future of public school kids? Well, here's, here is the problem, and that's the argument that you're going to have, but this idea that Okay, if we take more money and we throw it at a dysfunctional school system that that's going to change that the reason you have problems at MPs is because well there, there's not enough money, and if we get eighty seven million well then then that that's going to solve the problem well, first of all, I think that that is naive. I understand that that's this kind of superficial idea that the reason that we we have educational problems is there's not enough money, but if you look at all the per pupil spending. The reality is, like I say, we, we spend a whole bunch of money. But if that is the argument, if that's the argument that we, we need to just spend more money, we, 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 we've got to educate the kids, then, then why not go all in? If you have the MPS administrators, if they say, okay, what we need to do for a gold standard education, we need 640 million or whatever that number was, well then why only ask for 87? I mean, if, if that's really the case, go make the case that this is it, that if we get an extra couple thousand dollars a piece from those greedy property owners in the city of Milwaukee, that this is what we need to really make a difference. Just saying, I mean, you, you can't have it... Both ways. But I understand the argument, oh, if we just had a little bit more money, that would make a bunch of difference. Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, if this $87 million referendum passes, you know, what do you want to bet that five years from now, by any sort of measure, you know, is MPS going to be better? Are the test scores going to be better? Are the graduation rates going to be better? Well, okay, maybe you think so, but again, if that's your attitude, my advice would be, again, kind of tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt. All right, Cudahy, one of my favorite stupid criminal stories of the day. Now, I, I've, I've, when I was a prosecutor, there were some criminals who were incredibly, they were sophisticated. You had to work hard to catch them. They were clever. And then there was what we would call the low-hanging fruit, you know, like the, the moron criminals. All right, this falls in, Elizabeth Melissa Barkley, to the, the latter category. Three teens, Melissa, cited for egging cars in Cudahy.
2: Okay. All right, mm-hmm.
1: three 16-year-olds in Cudahy were caught, uh, were caught, The three teens were issued municipal tickets um, for disorderly conduct after they were found throwing eggs at cars around Cudahy on December 14th. Police were dispatched to look for a silver Subaru near near South Packard. When officers found the vehicle and pulled it over, so they get the call that there's like these kids are egging it, five dozen eggs were immediately visible on the back seat. While all three occupants admitted to throwing at least two eggs apiece at parked cars, the teens also thought they'd already gone through a dozen eggs before they were pulled over. Police found this car covered with egg. Police found another car covered with egg, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got the the criminals, these kids, who are driving around throwing eggs at cars, but they've also got a huge stockpile of eggs (laughs) in the car.
2: Well, they can't deny
1: it. You would think not. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. We were... we were hungry we were going to somebody's house to make a whole bunch of scrambled eggs <laughs> or something See, yeah it. omelets right <laughs> exactly I, I mean again it's kind of like the stupid criminal story that's there i mean if, if you're gonna throw eggs maybe uh you, you don't want to have a whole arsenal of, of eggs in the car that you're operating out of. You know, so. it's
2: it's funny, Jeff, because I feel like I, I wish each generation would get smarter and smarter. But when I was in high school, <laughs> egging was a big thing in, in a rural area, also TPing places. So it seems like not much has changed.
1: Um, yeah. That, <laughs> right? That, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the, that, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I mean, at least they're not throwing rocks or, or things okay, like yeah. that. But again, this is, you know, and you had that, that serious story that, mm-hmm. that's around that, that we're reporting today. But you had the kids that were throwing snowballs at the car. Now, we, oh, yes. you know, we live in a world where, you know, people carry guns, uh, legally and illegally. And you had that story about the kids that were throwing car, uh, the 12 and 13 year old, I think, yes, that mm-hmm. were throwing snowballs, snowballs at a car. And the guy or the driver is not – they haven't caught whoever it was, presumably a guy – is not thrilled with the car getting hit with a snowball and stops and returns fire, but it's not snowballs. It's really scary
2: that you think a snowball can – kind of break someone's psyche to pull out a gun just to snowball like you you know what i mean it's it, you never know at what tipping point someone's oh, yeah, at but think so. of the
1: stories we talk about
2: Ooh, all the time i, I know, mean you know, you, know. You,
1: you've got the woman who worked for the department of corrections who gets uh, she's she's driving to you know wherever she's driving with her 16 year old you know teaching him to drive and that somebody else like cuts them off and they have this minor fender bender and she gets out of the car and the guy pulls out a right. gun and shoots her in the chest you, just, so you never know you what's going to set people off So, think about that Mm -hmm. before you throw that snowball or chuck that egg. Back for more. Here's
0: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. In Wisconsin, when you go to vote for the last number of elections, you have to show up. You have to, and let's assume for the sake of argument that you are registered. This isn't one where you're doing same day registration, but you're, you're on the voter rolls and you're voting where you voted before. So it's, it's nothing new. The requirement is that you still have to present a a piece of photo identification. You have to have a driver's license or a passport or some other form of ID to prove that it is actually you when you walk up and you say to the poll worker, this is who I am, this is my address, there is my ID. Now, we've been through a number of elections in Wisconsin that have had this requirement. And... Just like when we first brought concealed carry to the state, there were some people that were out there that were predicting, oh, this is going to be the end of the world. It's going to be like the wild, wild west. It doesn't matter that 48 of the 50 states already have some form of concealed carry. We in Wisconsin, well, we're too bloodthirsty or irresponsible. And if you allow people to legally carry firearms in a concealed fashion with the appropriate permit, they're going to shoot up the cities. Well, that, that, that hasn't happened. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a situation where you might have had a concealed carry holder who behaved in an irresponsible fashion, but you don't hear these stories of, oh, my gosh, we've got all this carnage on the streets being carried on by people who have concealed carry permits. We heard the same thing when it came to photo ID oh, my goodness, by requiring somebody to show a photo ID to prove who they are before they're voting, this is going to be terrible. It is going to, I don't know, prevent all sorts of people from being able to vote. And and there are, of course, I mean, there's all sorts of exceptions to the photo ID rule, for example, like in nursing homes and things like that. But but we've had photo ID for a while, and if you were to say to me, has it been – a hundred percent perfect in other words could you find a situation where you know you, you do have that unicorn the person who despite making all sorts of reasonable efforts hasn't been able to get a photo id there are anecdotal stories of that but has there been a widespread problem i would argue no i bring this up because last week North Carolina and, and North Carolina, like Wisconsin, has has had very, very a very, very contentious legislature. You've had Republicans and you've had the Democrats and power has swung back and forth, and you've had challenges to the, the voter maps and things like that. Those challenges got more traction in court in North Carolina than they got in Wisconsin. But what happened is late last week a federal judge temporarily blocked North Carolina's photo identification requirements that that came into effect. And again, North Carolina had implemented a a photo ID rule similar to the one that they have in in Wisconsin. And the judge bought into the argument that, well, if you require people to prove who they are, it's really not going to hinder in-person fraud and it's going to hinder minority voters from participating in the political process the idea being this is going to discriminate against certain people because they they don't have photo ids our number eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now candidly I, i think This ruling, the Supreme Court has pretty consistently upheld photo identification requirements. And so, I mean, my my general sense is this federal judge is, is out on a limb. But we've had this experience in Wisconsin. We've had elections with photo IDs. Is it a bit of an inconvenience that you have to have a photo ID? Yes. Does it slow down the process by which you can vote? Well, marginally, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I when I show up in line at the polls, I'm there, I've got my driver's license or my passport or whatever I'm going to use. I've got it in my hand. And so they take it. They look at it. It, Does does it add a couple seconds to the process? Yes. Does this materially delay the voting? No, I don't think it is. But, you know, I, I think by and large, photo identification in Wisconsin has worked. And I don't believe that there is any significant number of people who are disenfranchised, that is, people who wanted to vote but were unable to get a photo identification. Now, again, maybe, maybe there is that unicorn that's out there. But I don't think, I don't think there's too many of them. Alright, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Federal judge in North Carolina says, nope, I think it's unconstitutional, I think it's illegal to make people have to prove who they are by presenting a photo identification, a piece of photo ID at the time they vote. We have this experience in Wisconsin. My question to you is, do you think that this is an unreasonable burden that we are putting on people? We've had a couple elections. My reaction is, no, I don't think this is that much of a problem at all. Does it solve, you know, problems with voter fraud? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know how many people, you know, were voting under other names in the past. But I guess regardless of that, I don't think this is that big a deal. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with this. And I certainly don't think federal judges should be throwing out requirements if a legislature thinks that it is reasonable to help limit voter fraud. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. We've had this experience in Wisconsin. Is it unreasonable, unreasonable to expect people to prove who they are by producing some form of photo ID? I think our system has worked pretty well. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. uh...
1: No, I, I, I see. Th- this is Melissa Barclay. This is the new Mellow Jeff for for 2020. I love this. Uh, no, it it is. So, during our, our phone volume has been unusually low.
2: I noticed that
1: uh, unusually low, and I, I'm wondering. I mean, what, what's what's going on? And our, our head engineer Scotty Pfeiffer, who is, does, just does a great job, walks in and says, "Okay." It, let's uh, and, and see, one of the things, no, by way of background yeah. we, we got rid of the old the 799 number. don't even bring that up yeah, yeah, okay. right we don't I, I don't up. even we got rid of it because yeah. it, w- it was old technology and we weren't going to service this at all and stuff like that so we went to this new new this new line and changed over and all that stuff mm-hmm. and and so apparently like the, the phones haven't been working for hours um the, the text line does but the phones it's so, ironic isn't it it I, a little huh.
2: irony there.
1: Irony. That's a good word. Okay, <laughs> ironic. Okay, you know, but but see, you know, ten <laughs> ten years ago, fifteen years ago, the the old Jeff would have been. How oh, do you mean the phones aren't working, et cetera, et cetera? You know, and then uh, and. But the new Jeff is, that's okay. Like cool as a cucumber. Absolutely. All right. Well, that that's no fine. Sweat. I'm, I'm sure they'll, you know, everybody's working hard on trying to get it fixed, and they'll fix it as quickly as they can. And I've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. But if you've been trying to call and you haven't been able to, to get through, um, it, it's because the, the phone lines haven't been working. Now, the text line does work. I've been reading text and stuff here. Mm-hmm. But the phone lines haven't been working. Now, it does make it interesting to do a radio talk show when, Okay, it's only me that can talk, but that's all right. It's just, I, I mean, I'm 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 mellow. I'm I'm relaxing. It's a new this year, stuff. new you. It is the it's it's, <laughs> it's a new year. It's a new me. It's all good. good. And I said the folks at Verizon are working hard, and our engineer pe- engineering people are working <laughs> yeah. hard, and I'm yeah. glad we put in this new system that was supposed to. Avoid things like this from happening irony, jeff irony yeah. okay that's that's <laughs> that's the word for two thousand and twenty. It's going to be ironic. <laughs> okay. all right, so we were talking at least I was talking about the, uh, the 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 photo ID requirement in this federal judge's uh, position, let's go to the text line, because we can get texts on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. This is Mark in Bristol. He says, Jeff, it's completely reasonable. Here's an example. If you walk into a bank and make a deposit or withdrawal and the teller doesn't recognize your face, they ask for an ID to prevent fraud. This is the same sort of protection. Yeah, actually, even... Even if they do recognize your face. I mean, that's, I mean, the bank I used to go to, I went in regularly, people knew who I was, but I, they would routinely, they would routinely ask for a driver's license to verify your identity. It's just, it's just how it works. Um, I, the idea, that this is disenfranchising huge chunks of voters. Like I say, I, I accept the basic premise that there might be somebody somewhere who, through all sorts of diligent efforts, hasn't been able to get a photo ID. But that person's the unicorn. And rather than being concerned about, gee, the fact that that person, you know, doesn't have an ID, maybe the bigger concern is, Because that person doesn't have an ID, they can't participate in so many aspects of American life. What we should be doing is we should be doing ways to figure out how that person can get an ID so they can walk into the bank and they can cash a check and so they can buy that train ticket or so they can take out a book at the public library or whatever else you need because you need a photo ID to participate in American society. This is Jeff Wagner. Live
0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So, Melissa, during the break, I became curious, because if you're just tuning in, our our, our brand-new spanking, accurate mortgage talk and text line, it is not working. You know, So, I, I, actually, I, I, I said to my producer, I said to Groves, producing the show today and always, Okay. Will you let me know if it starts working? And He said, "Well, the, the phone lines. Those people start calling in." I said, "Well, no. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give out the phone number and try to solicit calls if if it doesn't work." Um, but I, I called it. I was kind of figuring, okay, what what happened? So if you were to dial that number, it rings twice, and then you get this tinny recorded message that says, "All circuits are busy. Oh, Please no. try your call again." Oh, no. So i 'm told that Verizon is working on that, and that that 's absolutely fine. Our, our text line actually does still work so eight five five six one six one six twenty but it 's nice to know that because I had these two really, really good caller driven topics, but the only way they work is, you know, we, we, we've we gotten full phone lines and all that stuff. So I guess I'm better off probably saving those till tomorrow. I would you save think? those. Yeah. yeah. I'm it's, glad
2: you called in. That's nice to know what people are hearing, right? Well, right. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like that. Cause there's nothing, there's nothing more frustrating than, than you know, you, it's kind of like you punch in all the stuff on the computer yeah. and then you hit that send and then it just, it doesn't go through or whatever that could be. All right, so it's that's a good it. idea. Yeah. That, that's it. But they'll we're we're working on it. Or actually, the folks at Verizon are working on it, and our engineers are all over the folks at Verizon, and that's a very good thing. Hey, tonight, um, if you are a student of history. For a student or a fan of Wisconsin politics, there's a, a documentary that's debuting on PBS, and I, I want to—I have not seen it, but I am—I'm going to be watching it. Matter of fact, I want to make sure I didn't miss it, and because I have the attention span of a fruit fly, fly from time to time. I don't know. I mean, I'll know like there'll be these shows on, and then I'll forget about them. Well, in this case, I, I, I want to make sure I saw it, so I, I actually I set the DVR to make sure it picks it up. Um, there is a documentary on uh, Wisconsin Public Television tonight. It's called McCarthy, and it's part of the like the PBS American Experience um, program. And um, this is going to be apparently it's a two hour broadcast, which they describe it as being like a deep dive into the life of, of Joseph McCarthy. I think everybody knows Senator Joseph McCarthy, originally from Appleton, who became kind of the, the, the face of the the whole, you know, are you a communist movement in in the nineteen fifties? And you know, you had Joseph McCarthy who who claimed it came to fame by making the speech in West Virginia where he waved around this piece of paper saying, "I've got the names of, you know, all these people who work in the State Department and you know they're they're communists, they're known communists working for the State Department and and it set us off on a a very very dangerous time in American politics and um and now you have the term McCarthyism thrown around a, a lot, and you have it thrown around against people on the right and thrown around against people on the left. And just like just like when you see the, the Hitler analogies, and I, I again, I I don't care whether it comes from the left or comes from the right, I, I always cringe when I hear people, okay, th- this is like Nazi Germany or this is that or whatever, because it fails to apprehend, in most cases, you know, what what was really going on in Nazi Germany and, and by using, oh, this is like Hitler, by using that reference. And again, you see this on the right or the left. It, it's it's I'm not being one side on the politics of this. But when you see this, you kind of cringe. You go, boy, you know, you, you should maybe spend some time in Europe and really do some studying about, you know, what really did happen in Nazi Germany before you try to use that analogy to apply it to this politician or that politician. The same thing, I, I think, is, th- is true of, of McCarthyism. I do think... There is a new sort of McCarthyism that is emerging as part of our, what's the, what do they call it? The cancel culture. But, but again, I, I think if people educated themselves on, on what really went on during the blacklist and, and what McCarthyism was really about, they would be less likely to throw around some of those terms. So for whatever it's worth, um it, it's going to be on my must watch thing and I, I've got it DVR'd. My plan is to try to, you know, watch it live and then maybe check in on the Bucks game from time to time. But tonight, PBS the show is called McCarthy. It's based on a book. Actually, I read a little bit about this, and I tried to get the book. The book was written um, in like the in 1980s, and it's out of print now, so I wasn't able to, to get a copy of the book, but I'm, I'm fascinated by that. There's all sorts of books out there on McCarthy. But if you are a student of Wisconsin politics and you're a student of history and you want to have perhaps a better framework of what McCarthyism was – before you start accusing this person or that person of McCarthyism, might be worth you know spending some time and watching this documentary tonight, 8 p.m. on Monday on PBS. If you miss it, apparently it's going to be available on their website for PBS Wisconsin afterwards. But it's called Wisconsin. It's part of American Experience. And my guess is, again, it's going to be really, really good. Well, when we come back, lots of stuff on the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Forty degrees outside. Forty degrees outside in the beginning of January. Well, how cool is that? Okay, and, and by cool, I mean how great is that? You know, plus what you're starting to see is if you look at the the long term forecast. And I understand if you're if you're one of those folks that just absolutely loves the bitter cold weather and you love snow and all those type of things. You look at the long term forecast, then it, it might be a little bit disappointing to you. Um, I'm not one of those folks, and I understand you live in Wisconsin, and when you live in Wisconsin, what you're gonna see is, uh, you, you have to expect winter. I get it, that's, that's all okay, that you're gonna end up getting winter, but to me, you know, the, Quicker we are, the sooner we get to spring, the better it's going to be. And interestingly, if you look at the 10 day forecast, and again, it's, it's tough to figure, you know, out what exactly that's going to mean. But if you look at the 10 day forecast and things can change now, you know, you go out and this takes you to the middle of the month because what today is January 6th. So you take the 10 day forecast, that takes you to the middle of the month. And what you'll find is there, there's no There's no blizzards on the horizon. There's no, you know, um, well, I'm looking at the temperature, the predicted temperatures through um, a week from Wednesday, which would be January 15th. And the high temperatures for most of those days are above freezing, um, including well, there's a couple predictions that we're going to be in the 40s. Um, in the 10-day forecast, the coldest day appears to be Wednesday, and that's that's only in the low 20s. Now, don't get me wrong. It's cold if you're in the low 20s. But, you know, we're, we're looking at temperatures, you know, that are that are moderate for this time of year. Now, I'm not naive. I understand that that means that at some point in time, we're still going to get whumped in all likelihood, just like we got whumped in November with snow and bitter cold and all. But... You get to the middle of January, without that, that massive burst of, of cold air. And, you know, once you start getting into early to mid-February, our chances of getting the the real polar vortex, and I could live my entire life without hearing the phrase polar vortex, but once you start getting into mid-February, the chances of that really that long-term biting cold that's going to last day after day, it diminishes. doesn't mean that it can't happen, but can you look at the long-term forecast and most of the high temperatures through next Wednesday with one exception above freezing and that gets you to january 15th the winter solstice was december 21st so the daylight hours are starting to it gradually gradually it's staying light longer and that's all a good thing and we're we're kind of heading towards spring pitchers and catchers report in you know but about a month and a half or so it's it's all good all right speaking of something that's not good this one of the truly horrible stories that that emerged over the the Christmas holidays locally, and there is a manhunt that is underway, and it's, it's one of these examples of, if you want to look at the face of evil, now, I understand. I, when I was a prosecutor, I tried to approach things from the perspective of, of not trying to be too judgmental. By that, I mean, good people do bad things, bad people do good things. You know, and I always viewed my job was not to determine if somebody's a good person or a bad person. It was just to determine what somebody did, and if they did something bad, you have to hold them accountable. Right? And, and, like I say, good people do bad things and vice versa. Then, There are people like Manuel Salazar Gutierrez. He is the guy who was charged now last Friday with one count of second-degree reckless homicide and one count of hit-and-run resulting in death. He is a fugitive. The police are asking for the public 's help in trying to find him he 's forty four years old, six foot one, two hundred and fifty pounds, several tattoos, including the words Z- zacateca," which is a province or state in Mexico, tattooed across his abdomen. This is the guy who they believe he 's now been charged with the death of thirty six year old Jamie Hansen. Her friends called her James. If you see James Hanson, it, it's it's a it's a lady. She was the the bartender who was walking her dog uh, near How- on Howell Avenue in Bayview about eight fifteen at night on Christmas Eve when a car it was a jeep. Driven by this Manuel Salazar Gutierrez went up on the sidewalk, hit and killed her. Well, they've issued the criminal complaint now. And it's just, it's one of those things that if you weren't angry enough about this, you read the details of this and it drives you, you know, absolutely, it drives you crazy that there is somebody out there driving that would do this. Based on the investigation, police determined the vehicle was heading southbound on Howell, went up on a sidewalk, hit Ms. Hansen knocked over a light pole, went back on the road, leaving a trail of fluid as it fled. All right. Um, cameras that they had up on some of the area businesses showed a Jeep SUV with a ladder attached to it, speeding southbound on Hal after traveling south on the sidewalk for about 100 feet, which is the length of two houses and yards. Um the vehicle, after it hits Ms. Hansen, hits, knocks over this light pole, drags the light pole about 20 yards while it's getting on the road, back on the road, never stops, never slows down. At some point in time, they've got a witness who sees this character, the Salazar Gutierrez, get out of the jeep adjust the ladder that is attached on the roof and get back in the car drive off traveling on the wrong side of the road i mean it's just it's just mind boggling number 1 that this happened and number 2 that that somebody would just have such a conscious disregard for human life, according to the complaint um apparently there there's a guy they found a guy who claimed to employ Salazar Gutierrez um he identified the red s u v as his own, and the vehicle involving in the crash as belonging to Salazar Gutierrez because they'd they seen the two cars together. Apparently, the story was they went to a liquor store in one vehicle. Salazar Gutierrez bought tequila, got into a Jeep, and drove away home. They found fingerprints that matched his uh, located on the vehicle that they later found abandoned in the alley. But here's what you have happen. It's Christmas Eve. You have one of these losers who, uh, again, I don't know if he's drunk or not, probably, but you don't know, doesn't matter, drives up on the sidewalk, hits and kills this woman and one of the two dogs she was walking, slams into a light pole, drags the light pole down the street for like 20 yards then gets out, adjusts the ladder at the top of his truck, drives down the wrong side of the road, flees, abandoned the car, and now the guy is a fugitive. You know, we don't know where he is. I don't know anything about the guy's immigration status, whether he was a citizen or a Mexican national or whatever. Don't know any of that. But now he has been in hiding, and this happened on Christmas Eve. Hopefully there is somebody somewhere who has some sense of a conscience? Because there's somebody who knows where this creep is. They're, they're just, that's the reality. Somebody knows where this creep is. And you would think that there's, I mean, this is one of these examples of, of, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would expect them done unto, as, as you would have them do unto you. All right, this is one of those deals. I mean, if this, if this was your wife, this was your sister, this was your friend who was killed like that, you know, would, Wouldn't you want the person who did that brought to justice? There are people who know where this guy is or have a pretty good idea of where this guy is. And it's not only shameful that he did what he did and fled, but it's also shameful that the people who know where he is are not coming forward and are not cooperating with authorities. They will find him at some point in time somewhere in some little hidey hole, and he will be brought to justice, and hopefully he will spend the rest of his life behind bars. But this is one of these aggravating sort of situations where you go, boy, the more the details you read about this, the more you understand what a monster this guy must have been to not only have done what he did, but then to hide And it's okay. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Maybe, like I say, he was drunk. Maybe he panicked, whatever. But to hide, to flee, that's unconscionable. And anybody that is harboring him or helping him, they should be ashamed of themselves. Back with more in just a minute.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Yeah, we have a case of the Mondays here at WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Our, our phone lines have been down, but that's okay. We're getting by. Melissa Barkley, you just mentioned you're, you've actually been preparing all your newscasts and your work for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You're doing it in studio because... They're on a the,
2: different network than in the newsroom.
1: Which so and have, your stuff in your network in the newsroom isn't not working, working either. right. right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're... Okay. we're hanging in there, though. No, well, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We always phrase you said even the internet stuff is all wonky here today. Yeah, all. it's so a, that's, little slow, a little that, slow. That, that that's okay. Well, we'll uh, we will we will just kind of muddle through. And of course, the I, I mean, bottom line of all this is we're we're all just kind of treading water until next Sunday night when the Green Bay Packers play um the Seattle Seahawks uh, at Lambeau Field.
2: I always find it weird going through a Sunday without watching a Packers game. During yeah, Packers season for me it's kind of a mainstay every weekend. Okay, well, so Sunday we go here. Well, right you. Right, yeah. You,
1: no, you kind of plan around well, it. That, that's exactly I mean, we. I, I have my different routines. If it's a noon game, I, I, I meet my buddies and we go sure. to this particular location and we all belly up to the bar and yeah. we watch the noon game. If it's a 3.30 game, I, it's something different. If it's a 7 o'clock game, it's something different. Yeah. Now, tomorrow, uh, on Sunday, we're going to the ball game. We're going to the game.
2: No, what um, time it, you are five
1: thirty, five forty, okay, something. So that's not so, bad.
2: So you got to go up to Green Bay. Are you spending the night Saturday? No, no,
1: night no, 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 no. We're um we're going through the place. I got tickets has a bus, so we're gonna take the you're gonna take the bus up there, hang around, go to the game, and then the bus brings you back. Now you know
2: that is definitely the way to go, where you can enjoy yourself and not have to worry about how you're gonna get back home. Well,
1: right, yeah. and you don't have to fight traffic and stuff like yeah. that. And so I, I just it it still makes for a long day, mm-hmm. but I figured that, that was the way to do it, and um, the the forecast, the long range forecast, and look, I, I appreciate maybe the colder the better, but not if you're sitting out at the game. Uh, the temperature, at least around here, at ten day, it's on Sunday. It's supposed to be dry and uh, high of thirty four, low of thirty. Not so, too
2: bad. Bring your your cushion yeah. so you keep your you know tissue warm on those. Seats. On, on the seats, on the yeah, seats that, yeah
1: that's it but I mean, no, i'm no i'm kind of looking forward to it i was kind of vacillating you know but i'm thinking no oh, it's it, this You'll might be, be funny, well yeah. absolutely and you you just i, I don't know i mean if all goes according to hoyle san francisco's supposed to win if mm-hmm. the packers win this will be the only packers home game and if you get a chance to go to a, in a divisional playoff game i think you should do That's it. a great thing yeah so we're looking forward to that so let's let's not have snow and let's not have bitter cold weather because um my wife will be unhappy
0: you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, we're, we're having some problems with our phone line. It's, we're, we're not, we're not accepting. We, if you call the number... What happens is it rings a couple times, and then it just kind of disappears. So uh, it's been going on for a couple hours. I know our engineers and the folks at Verizon are working on this, and we're getting you know some people who listen to us on the Internet. By the way, I know a lot of people do listen over the internets and the streams, and we're getting some reports that that's kind of dropping in and out. So obviously there's some technical issues, but I appreciate you hanging in there with us and our engineers and working with the folks at Verizon. They'll get a handle on this. So, all right, I – the Washington Post, the editorial writers, are, are telling us collectively as Americans that we need to get busy. And I mean, get busy in the bedroom. That, that's it. Now, here, here is the deal. America is undergoing a dip in population growth. I mean, now, historically... If you look at, you know, remember we we talked about like after World War II there was the baby boom because you had all the soldiers that came home from World War II and they, you know, rekindled with their wives and all of a sudden you had all these children were born and I'm I'm kind of in the middle of, for example, of the baby boom. One of the things that economists will tell you is that a growing labor force is one of the factors that determines an economy's capacity to grow. So if you have people that are coming into the labor force, you know, more and more bodies that are going in, well, that's a good sign that there's going to be economic growth. In contrast, if you have a declining labor force, well, it obviously then it it ends up working the other way. You have this issue going on with Social Security now. And I think as everybody probably knows, you, you get a statement maybe once a year from Social Security and that statement will say, okay, if you retire at a certain age And assuming that your income continues to be a certain amount, this is what your benefit will be when you retire at that age, right? Everybody's seen that. But if maybe there's still some people who don't know this, but it's not like a savings account. It's not like there is an account that the government has under your name that has all the money that you've put in over the years. Social Security, the way it works, is those of us who are working now – The money that we pay in is used to pay claims from people who are currently collecting Social Security. So it's like a pass-through sort of deal, and there's extra left over. Well, what's happening is because more people are retiring and living longer and claiming benefits, what you're starting to see is younger people, well, they're – it's Pretty soon what's going to happen is Social Security is going to be running a, a deficit. Now, that doesn't mean Social Security is going to go bankrupt in the immediate future, but long term, if you have people living longer and more people filing claims and you have fewer and fewer people paying in, long term, you, you've got a, a problem. And That's just one of the many issues that comes with declining population. Okay, so here's the, the deal. The Census Bureau has just come out with new numbers. The U.S. population grew only 6.7% in the past decade. That is the slowest 10-year rate since the census began in 1790. So percentage-wise, our population growth the last decade was lower than it has been any time since 1790. Plus, all living members of the baby boom generation will have turned 65 by 2013. And 18, let's round up to 20% of the country, will be at least that age. So what you're seeing is that we're getting older collectively as a a country. And what's happening is, you know, the younger people aren't – we're not having as many kids. So it's interesting because you don't have the natural increase in population that you would expect – what you're seeing is that, um, if you believe this basic premise that, you know, for an economy to grow, you need more and more people coming into it, we're, we're not seeing those, those numbers. So, unchecked, these various trends mean less economic growth and maybe diminished ability to support the larger number of people who are going to be retiring. So, there is one solution. And that solution is, what we need to do is we need to increase the birth rate. We need to get more people into this country. We need to have people having more kids. Now, you can do it through other ways as well, by increasing immigration and stuff like that. And that's always a factor. But it always starts with, like I say, more kids. So bottom line of that is, I think people just collectively, husbands, wives, you need to get busier. Grew, you know, just... Melissa last night you know I, my wife and I we went out to dinner with Gru and soon to be Mrs Gru had a wonderful meal and you know I said so that that's the bottom line i mean that that look the, the having kids ship has sailed for me but you know he is the future we need him to be you know Taking care of the we business. need more
2: little grooves.
1: We need more little grooves. <laughs> almost Absolutely, when I said that, <laughs> we, we need more of them because again, I I need somebody who's going to be paying for my social security in my elder years. You know, stuff. it's
2: interesting that you say that because I think you know maybe there are a lot of younger people out there that would like to, but perhaps they're strapped with student loans, and that's a huge problem as well trying to you know think about the future and thinking about how are they going to afford children stuff like that so or delaying the decision decision. well
1: you do wonder because like i say this was kind of staggering that this this last decade was the the lowest percentage increase in u.s population growth you know since 1790. you know again it's percentage not raw numbers but it does tell you that there's some demographic changes going on i also think I, I also think people are making decisions to, for example, get married and start families later. And I understand you don't have to be married to start a family, but I'm still kind of a traditionalist sort of guy. I, I think I think you know, you're right about that. You know, there, there there was a time where you had a lot of people that were getting married right out of high school, and you know, and and you'd start off and and, and you'd be having kids in your early twenties. Mm-hmm. I know fewer and fewer. I know people who are married and and are having kids, but they're holding off that. Um, until a little bit later in life
2: you know and it's interesting um you know i know women in their 40s that are having children early 40s yeah. but yeah i mean that's it's the the demographic like you said is changing and i do think people are waiting till they're older
1: right for whatever that reason is yeah. but the bottom line is um you know the, the, these numbers are out there so you know for for younger people out there you know married committed relationships get busy have kids <laughs> the rest of us are depending on you.